I want to talk to you from Acts chapter 10 on the theme of God, the author of missions. Specifically, God calls his people to missions, and when I say his people, I don't mean just missionaries, I mean his people globally, and God coordinates missions, and when he calls, we must answer. Those are the first three. They'll go real fast. And then the next, next one is God stirs a passion for mission. And finally, the Lord gives joy and renewal in mission. And that point about renewal be woven throughout. So that's, that's what we'll see in a, a very large and, and grand passage. Acts chapter 10, I invite you to follow along your Bible for the whole And I'll read the first 21 verses now and then work through the remainder on God's work. Taking missions to the Gentiles through the apostle Peter, who was uh, struggling a bit at the time to understand God's purposes, and the Lord revealed it to him. God's word, Acts 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God about the ninth hour of the day, that would be 3 p.m., about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel had spoken and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, Cornelius sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray. Sixth hour would be noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, and in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air, And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unclean or common. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean do not call common or unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was wondering, this is my translation, what on earth is going on, our translation says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, It means he had no idea what had just happened as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Why are you here? What do I have to do with you? What's going on here? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray that the riches of your word would, to some small but meaningful way, 
speak to us, that you would speak to us, you, the author of missions, who would call us to missions in the way that is right for each of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to feel sorry for goldfish. Round and around they go in that little 12-inch bowl, looking at the same pirate ship, the same sunken treasure chest, the same, I don't know why, but purple and green and blue fronds coming out of the bottom of those multicolored stones. What a horrifically boring life. Around and around they go. Every five seconds, the same thing. And then I read a study that took away my anguish. The study said that goldfish ordinarily have a memory of about three seconds, which means that the trip around the goldfish bowl is endlessly thrilling. (laughs) Pirate ship! (sighs) Treasure chest! Oh my goodness! Look at that vegetation! Now in honor of goldfish, in our house we call it goldfishing when somebody forgets something within three seconds. Now, I have to say, it's really fine to forget a lot of things. If you forget where you put the flashlight, if you forget, you know, where you put the carving knife, it's okay. The problem is when you forget really important things, like gospel things, like Peter's question, why are you here? Which, I have to say, as a professor, there's no such thing as a stupid question, but some questions come extremely close. (laughs) Peter, why do you think they're here? He asked the same question two days later. I'm, here I am, you know, he speaks to Cornelius, and uh, you sent for me and I came, can you tell me why I'm here? Well, you know, you're an apostle, why don't you take a guess as to why you're here? And yet people forget. Now, I wanna walk you through the story a little bit and then see how it applies to us in the Kirk, in our mission community, in our mission emphasis time. So in Acts chapter 10, the story begins with a Roman centurion who's uh, living in a Jewish city, Caesarea, by the sea, and he's there part of the Roman cohort that's occupying the land and enforcing Roman rule. He would be very much an outsider and considered a hostile, hostile and oppressive person. The centurion was the head of the armed force in that place and therefore would be viewed as an oppressor and as someone who robbed the land and defiled the land, of course, this centurion's different. He's a man of prayer. And somehow, in his time in Israel, he's run across some believers, and he has become a believer himself. It says he fears God. He gives to the poor. He doesn't just fear God. He shows it in action. And, and he believes in the God of Israel. He follows the Ten Commandments. He doesn't follow all the laws. God-fearer means he didn't follow, for example, the laws of association, because if he had, he couldn't be a Roman centurion anymore. And so you would look at him askance, even though he fears God, and say, well, you know, he's not fully committed. But of course, God knows how committed we are, and he's praying one day at three in the afternoon, and as he prays, the Lord decides to honor his prayer in an extraordinary way and sends him a vision, a vision of an angel that tells him, your prayers and your alms have ascended into heaven, and, and I, have a, I have a charge for you. I'm going to Number point one, call people to mission. And it's going to start with you sending to Joppa, which is a city about a two-day two walk away, 30-some miles. And I want you to send for a man, Simon, named Peter. He has two names. And he's saying, 
He's staying with another Simon, a tanner. And just, by the way, in case you're wondering, a tanner does not mean someone who runs a tanning salon. It does not mean someone who manufactures that stuff you spread in your arms and legs so you look good in the spring. It means someone who's working with animal hides, which means Peter has begun to relax some of the rules in the law, which says you can't be touching dead animals. For the sake of ministry, he's relaxing the standards. And God says, essentially, thank you for giving me an inch. I'm going to take a mile. So go. Go to this man. And they go. And, you know, Cornelius sends three of his trusted people, including one who's a devout person himself, and they walk about 30, 30 plus miles, two days, and, and they get there. Now, meanwhile, God coordinates missions. That's verses 9 to 16. And as they've begun to travel, God also is speaking to Peter, and he gives him a vision. We might call it a double vision. And so after the Cornelius vision occurs and the traveling occurs, then Peter is praying. It's around noon, and he's hungry, and God uses the hunger, and people are preparing the food, and and as he's praying, waiting for lunch, a sheet comes down out of heaven, a big sheet. Make it, imagine it as big, you can look to the side, look, imagine a sheet maybe as big as, as this whole wall over here, and you know, 20 or 30 or 40 feet high and long, like, like the windows over there. Don't look at me, look at the sheet over there. See the sheet? And in that sheet, you know, there are, there are all kinds of animals. There are, there are llamas and longhorn sheep, and there are cows of all kinds, and there are rabbits, and there, there's shellfish, there's shrimp, and there's pork. And a Jew's not allowed to eat those things, and he knows that. And the vision says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way. I'm passing this test. I mean, I've heard that bacon tastes good, but I, am not, I have not succumbed to temptation. I will not do it. And the vision says, well, don't call anything impure or unclean that I call clean. Which means that these things that used to be impure or unclean are now clean. Which is very hard for Peter to understand. He's lived his whole way, his life a certain way, and now what he's always been forbidden to partake of, he's suddenly supposed to partake of. Now this is a metaphor that, that God's going to use and stretch to teach him something. But in the short run, the word is, you know, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a person, a man or a woman, that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of them. It's not what goes into your body, but the, the unkind words and thoughts and deeds. That's what makes you unclean. And Mark, the Gospel of Mark says, in this way, God declared, Jesus declared, all foods clean. But, you know, it's hard to hear new things. Sometimes you have to hear a new thing two, three, four, five times, right? Before you can accept it. And so Peter is, is wondering. He's marveling. He doesn't understand. But God coordinates mission. And so his voice will be heard. Of course, then, when God coordinates and organizes, we have to listen. And that's what happens in verses 17 to 23. Because the vision is gone. Three times the vision came down, a sheet. Three times, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Three times, never, Lord. Three times, don't call unclean, which I've called clean. Three times. 
And Peter's sitting there thinking, what is going on here? And, and just then, exactly then, Cornelius' men arrive. Now they're walking for two days. You know, they don't have many devices on their phones to locate the house. It just so happened they're walking around, they bump into somebody, Simon the Tanner, yeah, he's over there. And just at that moment, they happen to arrive, just as the sheet disappears, verses 16 to 18 tell us. And as the sheet disappears, the Spirit says, I'm going to explain a little bit of this to you, Peter. I want to tell you something. I want you to go down. There are men at the door, and I want you to go with them. In fact, I want you to go without hesitation, because I have sent them. So Peter goes down. He says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why are you here? Now, they've got a difficult thing to say. They've got to invite Peter to come to the house of a centurion. Can you just use your imagination a little bit? What's a centurion like to a Jew in the first century? Kind of like a Nazi occupying the Netherlands or France. Would you please like to come with me and visit the Gestapo? They would like to ask, they'd like to spend some time with you. And so they have to say that, and yet they have, they have a, an amelioration, a mitigation. He's a godly man. He prays. He fears God. It's not going to be so bad. Now, there's something else involved, and that is it was illicit for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile because the house of a Gentile is unclean. And so to go to the house is not only going to the Gestapo, but it's also going to a place that's unclean. But Peter heard the Spirit, and he invites them in, which is already a remarkable act. And then the next day, he takes an entourage, witnesses, and away they go, because the voice is ringing in his ears. Now, meanwhile, Cornelius is still at his home, expecting everybody to come back in due time. And he gets there four days later, it says. And when Cornelius meets Peter, he bows down as if he's receiving an angel. And Peter says, get up, get up. I'm just a man like you are. And, and um, why am I here? Which, again, is possibly the worst question anybody asks in all the Bible. I'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to just talk about the invitation. So Cornelius with his friends and his family are all there at three in the afternoon. And I would just love to know how Cornelius got his friends and family all to come. It would go something like this. An angel, yes, I know. An angel came and spoke to me a couple days ago, and he said I have to send for a man named Peter. Don't know exactly who he is. I don't know exactly when he'll arrive. I don't know exactly what he's going to say. But you have to come. And by the way, there'll be food and drink until he comes, whenever he comes. Set aside your day, stay in my house. You want to be here for a man named Peter because an angel told me that he's coming. So you all come. He must have had some persuasive skills, right? And they all came. And they speak to us. You know, probably we aren't as persuasive as Cornelius, but Cornelius loved his friends and he loved his family. And he said to them, you've got to hear this. You ever tell anybody they've got to hear something? You probably tell them that the most about music. 
I've discovered a guy named Martin Phipps. He writes beautiful scores for television shows like The Crown. I don't recommend The Crown, but I recommend the music. And, and for movies, if you like a, music, a, a movie score, there's a fair chance if you like classical music, it's Martin Phipps. And I'm telling people, you got to listen to Martin Phipps. It's beautiful music. I guess I just did it again. And so I tell people things like that. And, and maybe you tell people things like, you've got to read this book, and you've got to watch this show on Netflix, or you've got to listen to some music I discovered. And we should also say, there's a message you need to hear. And you need to hear it because it's just great. It's powerful, it's beautiful, and you need it. And Cornelius said that to his friends, and they listened. And Peter arrives, and he says, it was good of you to send for me. Now, now, why am I here? He's goldfishing. Jesus took Peter to minister to a Syrophoenician woman, that's well outside Israel, to the region of the Gadarenes and the Decapolis, that's outside Israel. He told Peter and all the apostles, uh, go and make disciples to the end of the earth. Peter knows these things, and yet somehow he forgot. He doesn't know why he's here. And yet somehow he snaps to and remembers the gospel as he hears Cornelius answers question. Listen to what Cornelius says. This is actually, I'm using the NIV translation here because it's so good on this. He says, we're all here before God. We're all here. We are here. Not just individuals, we're here as a group. We are here. We're a community of listeners. We're here before God. We're not just here listening to you. We're here to listen to you, Peter, but we also have this sense that we're actually listening to God. We're here to listen, not to have our eardrums vibrate, not to be distracted, not to be here because of custom, not to be here because if we don't come to church we'll feel guilty. We're here to listen to everything the nice things, the not so nice things, the things that resonate, the things that don't resonate yet, the things that comfort us, the things that upset us. We're here to listen to everything God has commanded you to tell us. Can I encourage you to bring that attitude when you come to church Sunday mornings for your pastor? To pray this prayer, Lord, we're here to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. The Lord, pastors don't say what they feel like saying. They say what God commands them to say. And therefore, we should listen to what God tells our pastors to tell us. That's the spirit we should have when we come to church. And somehow this moves Peter. And he says, oh, now I understand. The, the ESV says, now I understand. Other translations they say, now I comprehend, now I grasp. The word, the word means something like, uh, now I get it. Now I've laid hold of something that maybe I already knew, but now I've really owned it. And he says, what I realize is that God does not show favoritism. Now the original language word, Greek word for this is prosopolempsia, which means receiving a face. That, that means God doesn't look at people on their outward appearance, their face, or their skin color, or their clothes, or their accent, or their na national origin. He responds to people without regard to anything external and visible. 
God has no favorite race, no favorite place, no favorite language. He doesn't like Europeans more than he likes Asians or Africans. God doesn't play favorites. He accepts people, Peter goes on to say, from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now you may say to yourself, what kind of a gospel message is that? It's a gospel message that a, that a Gentile would understand. God exists, he is mighty, you should fear him. He's not like those weak, lame gods that are inconsequential. This is the great God, and you should fear him. And you should do what is right. That is to say, many of the gods in that time didn't have any standards, but the, the living God has standards. You need to do what's right. And he says, furthermore, now if you don't fear God, and maybe you don't do what's right, God has declared peace to all men through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Well, you want to know who Jesus is? Well, God anointed him. He went around through Israel, and he, and he healed people. And I'm sure he took more time than the few verses, 36 and following here, and, and then his own people killed him. They crucified him. And then he rose from the dead, and many of us saw him. That's the message we proclaim. That's what the prophets testify. And then he says it at the end, verse 43, in words that we would find more familiar, and that is that God declares forgiveness to all who believe in his name. That's the message. And as he's preaching, as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes upon these people because they believe, to move them to believe and to seal them in belief. And Peter's saying, you know, now I realize, now I get it. Even as I preach to these people, I understand my own message. And we can say the same thing. Now I understand. You know, one of the beauties of the gospel, and I confess I kind of tossed out a little invitation to five and eight-year-olds to stay today. Because a five-year-old can understand the gospel. A five-year-old can really love Jesus and believe in Jesus, knowing I fail, fall short, I sin, and Jesus loves me, and he is my savior. And yet, you can be 25 and 65 and still learn more and more about what it means. You can say, well, I, I knew what it meant when I was five, but now I really get it. Now I understand what God has to say to me. And, and it, you know, the, the way we understand changes a little because we change and because our cultures change. So in our day right now, one of the challenges is we live in an age of achievement and identity. And the two are wrapped up together. We think that our identity comes through our achievements. So you know, if you're a professional and you're well-trained, and your career is skyrocketing and you're just going from glory to glory, you think, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a winner. I've, I've achieved. And if you've got the same training and the same abilities and you know, your career is somehow stalled and going downward, you think, well, I'm a loser. And relationships, if you, know, every, if you really want to get married and you think, I'm an attractive person. I'm, I'm, I look in the mirror, I'm not ugly. And, and I have social skills, and I, I can make friends, and I desperately want to be married, and I'm not married. I must be a loser. And then, and then love comes your way, and you think, oh, I guess I'm not a loser. Somebody's chosen me. I'm a winner. This is the way we think today. We think almost intuitively in America, in an achievement-oriented society, that when, when I'm doing well externally, then I'm good, I'm worthy, 
And when I'm not, then I'm unworthy, I'm a nobody. And the gospel speaks to that, you know. The gospel says to you that your status as a child of God and a friend of God is not achieved, it's received. It's not achieved, it's received. Our culture tells us achieve, and Jesus says receive. And sometimes achievement-oriented people need to say, oh, now I, now I understand the gospel. I, I always knew it, I always knew that. But now I receive it better, differently, more fully. The way people need the gospel and hear the gospel changes from place to place and time to time. And I'm gonna apply this to missions and us in about three minutes. Um, but I wanna make sure we understand that the way we minister the gospel, in a sense, has to change. Because the questions the culture asks, the mistakes and the half-truths in a culture are always changing. So a thousand years ago, in Europe, it was an honor-based culture. And so if you preach the gospel, you would say something like this. You have dishonored God, and you can't honor him properly. The only way you can honor him properly is by believing in Jesus who brought honor back to God, and you can honor God through Christ. That's the way the gospel went a 1,000 years ago. And 500 years ago and 50 years ago, in a morality-based culture, the word was, first of all, you know, you're a sinner. You've broken the rules. And by the way, these are true statements. Don't misunderstand. You've broken the rules, and, and Jesus will keep the rules for you, and you don't have to be guilty about the rule-breaking that you've done. And so believe in Jesus and be forgiven of your moral failings. So a thousand years ago, honor failings. 200 years ago, moral failings. What are our failings today? What do people feel most intensely in large swaths of American and Western culture? We feel a lack of achievement. And in that case, we say, friends, friends, God doesn't save you and set you on a you know, supercharged news zone of achievement. You know, you achieve in your business and you can achieve spiritually. Yay, let's achieve some more. The message is God created you in his image. And God loves you so much even when you're a sinner that he sent his son into the flesh. And you don't have to achieve, you should receive God's grace and God's gospel. And that's good news. That's what drives mission. It's joy in this message and, candidly, relief sometimes that drives missions. And even as the gospel message needs to be proclaimed in slightly different ways for slightly different challenges, the way we do missions has to change slightly as the world changes. And, and we've already had references to this multiple times. I just want to label them and maybe extend it just a tiny bit. So, you know, Brian Teal said that he went as an individual in the 80s, right? You heard him. But, but also there's technology now. And Solomon said, we've had a 500% increase via technological means in, in the time of COVID. That's, that's what God wants us to do more and more. So this church, Kirk of the Hills, has always been a sending people church. Praise God. Amen, that's wonderful. And there are places where there's no church and you have to send people out foundationally and you have to send people to places like Namibia and Laos and Kazakhstan and India because there's nobody there. 
But then there are places they're closed. And there are places where the gospel has been established, and so we're a little bit nimble, and we state the gospel and present the gospel and do missions a different way. So here's my favorite illustration. Do you know that we support third millennial, third millennium ministries, right? Raise your hand if you know that. If you belong to this church, you support third millennium. Third millennium says we're going to go mostly to places that are closed. And what we're going to do is create TV programs, and we're going to load them on discs, and we're just going to drop them off into hundreds and thousands and say, copy them as much as you like and take them to countries that are closed to individuals. So here's my favorite anecdote. Ten, I'm, I've been pretty involved with Third Mill over the years. And Third Mill dropped off a bunch of Jesus videos in Mongolia, and a TV station got a hold of them. And one year, the Life of Jesus video series was the number one TV show in Mongolia. I did not say the number one educational show. I said the number one show. Now I admit there's not a lot of programming in Mongolia. There's like three million people. They all left with Attila the Hun and just migrated out of there. And then of course, there's, uh, then there's these in-between cases like, like we have here with our dear friend David Yanadas. And I'm going to ask him to just stand up, and you're, he's going to be awkward, but you're going to look at him from time to time while I speak just for a minute. And David is from India, and he, um, he's been here with us for a few years, and he's going back to India in just a couple months. And he's a blend of sending individuals and sending technology. Because it's just that, that he's going back. He's, of course, you know, we don't have to take him to language school because he's in good shape, Right? But he and I had a little chat just a, just a week ago, and I have a role in the Gospel Coalition, and he said, hey, let's talk about Gospel Coalition sometime, because I would love to bring Gospel Coalition to India. Now, what does that mean? It means I'm on the council, and I've, I've helped start some things, and I, I know who's who in the Gospel Coalition. I can help him make it happen. Guess who else can make it happen? Raise your hand if you think you can make it happen. Come on. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of this. Gospel Coalition India is going to take the materials that people in the West have written, and they're going to scrutinize it and say, which of these materials work really well in India? And they're going to say, some of these materials are perfect. They work everywhere. They work here. Great. And they're going to say, other materials don't work. Nothing wrong with those materials. They're just written for the West. That's all. And so we're going to write materials in India that will resonate with our people. So we're going to have continuity with all Christians everywhere, but we're also going to apply things a little bit differently because it's the same message, but the need keeps changing. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's what missions is about. That's what that's what the gospel is always about. It's always about the truth, regrafted. Thank you, brother. Represented, so that people can keep saying, "Oh, now I realize. Now I understand." So that Indians can say, "I always heard the gospel, but you know, now that you put it this way, I understand it better." Even as we, year by year, say same gospel, but we had to keep applying it, keep believing it. Keep trusting it. Keep having joy ourselves, individually, 
and as a community, giving ourselves to the gospel and our community to missions. Let's pray together for a minute. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the beauty of your gospel and the way it speaks the same message of your sovereign, loving, powerful grace in every age, at every time. And yet, there's a, a, a diversity to it that makes it applicable according to the needs of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and era, according to the flaws of every era, the doubts of every human soul. Lord, I pray that beyond our own intent, beyond our own ability, you would use us one by one and together as a church community, joyfully joining in the mission that you organize, the mission that you coordinate, the mission you call us to with purpose and with joy. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.